Hello, and welcome to Broadband Conversations, the podcast where I get to talk to leading women from across the technology, innovation, and media industries. You get to hear what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what they think is the next big thing. I'm Jessica Rosenworcel, a member of the Federal Communications Commission. And my guest today, I am going to go there. I'm just going to say she is out of this world. And that's because she's NASA astronaut Kate Rubens. And I'm going to let her tell you more about herself in a minute. But I'll get started by telling you that in 2016, she spent 115 days in space aboard the International Space Station. And she completed two spacewalks for a total of about 13 hours of spacewalk time. She was the first person to sequence DNA in space, and I can't imagine living in zero gravity, much less running those kind of scientific experiments. She has a bachelor's degree from the University of California, San Diego in molecular biology, and she has a PhD in cancer biology from Stanford's medical school. And bonus, she was born in my home state of Connecticut. So Kate, thank you so much for joining me today. It is so great to have you. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to talk to you. All right. Now, before we get, you know, all into space travel, I want you to take us back and really tell us how you got to where you are today. Um, I guess probably a good place to take you back to would be a a stargazing party um, when I was about five or six and uh, announced to everybody there that I intended to be an astronaut which is a, you know, oh a really cute thing when a five-year-old says that. Totally. Uh, it, was, it was really my childhood dream. Um, and, and it was my dream for quite a while until um, about late high school when you start to think about what college you're going to go to and uh, real majors and real careers. And obviously, being an astronaut is not really a thing that people do. So I was encouraged to go in different directions and uh, ended up starting out as a biologist. And so... How does someone then become an astronaut? Like, walk us through the process. I mean, I love that it started when you were five years old in the backyard looking at the skies, but I'm sure there's a lot more to do other than just sort of pine for the heavens. Yeah, so I um, I was really intent on being a, a biology faculty member. I had started a lab at the Whitehead Institute at MIT, um, and we were doing research on viruses in Central and West Africa. Um, and out of the blue, one of my friends called and said, you know, I noticed that the usajobs.gov has applications online to be an astronaut. Didn't you want to do that when you were a kid? Uh, and I sort of laughed and thought it would be kind of a funny story if I applied to be an astronaut. could tell my grandkids about it someday or something. But uh, I applied, and uh, the moral of the story is uh, if you apply for a job, you might get it. <laughs> That is the best story about the USA Jobs website I have ever heard. (laughs) So what was the process? What what did it entail? So yeah, it's it's like applying for uh, any federal job. You submit your application online. Um, They do have uh, some additional things they want you to go get, for example, a physical for health data. And uh, there's some interesting questions on there about uh, times that you've worked in small teams or uh, been in dangerous environments or been on expeditions. Um, So it's a little bit out of the ordinary in terms of the that part of the jobs application process. And then the applications are reviewed at Johnson Space Center in Houston. And eventually they narrow it down uh, to a much smaller group. They ask some follow-up questions. They ask for letters of reference. And then they invite a group down for interviews. Um, so it's about a week-long interview process uh, with a lot of medical tests, uh, 
uh, and it covers everything from, you know, all the the academic and kind of uh, scientific work that you've done to what are your hobbies, what do you like doing uh, in your free time. And um, they finally narrow it down about every four years, they take a new astronaut class. Oh, every four years. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So it's not your typical government job interview. I think that's fair to say. (laughs) And I know you were in space, as I said at the outset, for 115 days in 2016. So here's just sort of a question, something I wonder about. What do you miss most from the Earth while you were away? So I actually missed uh, weather the most, just the, the variation in temperature, um, even things like a rainstorm, uh, the smell of the forest, you know, wind on your hair. You're in a very sterile environment, so uh, it's nicely temperature controlled, but it's fluorescent lighting, and you're sort of in this metal tube orbiting the Earth. You don't really get to experience weather in the outdoors anymore. Wow. It's like you're in this permanent laboratory without any kind of, you know, sensation from the outdoors, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Weather. I would not have thought of that. All right. <laughs> so but how about how about one better? What did you enjoy most about being in space? And then also tell me what did you enjoy least? It's really fantastic once you get used to it to be able to do work from any position. So you can do work hanging upside down from the ceiling if you want to. Um, you have to get a little good at orienting yourself. Um, but it's really uh, it's amazing to be able to use all of the space in a three-dimensional environment. We have a very um, kind of planar view of life on Earth. We, we move around in two dimensions, and we don't really go up or down very much. And so once you kind of discover that third dimension on orbit, it's, it's joyful to hang upside down from the ceiling and, and type away at your computer. Uh, in terms of things that I enjoyed least, I think there wasn't really anything that, you know, you do in space, like even the routine stuff. Um, cleaning, fixing the toilet, uh, (laughs) just the standard stuff that you would do around the house. We do maintenance on space station. Even those were fun. It was just kind of this delightful thing to be working uh, in the space station and and supporting the the NASA mission and the international partner mission. Yeah, I'm still, I still have this image of someone upside down typing on their computer that I can't (laughs) even imagine. Um, Is there actually internet on that computer or on the space station? Yeah, we're able to um, remote desktop into a computer on the ground. Uh, So for security reasons, that's behind a bunch of NASA firewalls. Um, But we can get Internet access. It's a little slower uh, than you're used to on Earth, um, but it is possible. Now, were you emailing back home or were you, you know, binge watching an episode of your favorite show? What kind of things did you do? (laughs) So I actually had a rule to not do too many things in space that I could do on the planet. Um, I figured, you know, in your lifetime, I was only going to have a few months off-world and the rest of the time would be spent on Earth. So I tried to do things if I had free time, um, like take pictures of the Earth. We have some incredible resources up there for photography, for Earth photography. Um, even just losing yourself, just looking out the window. You can, you can float in one of the big windows and spend an entire orbit, 90 minutes, flying around the Earth. Uh, just flying over continents. So I did watch a few TV shows when I was running on the treadmill. Um, and, of course, there's always work email that just never goes away. So that's <laughs> but, true. Uh, I try no to enjoy it as much as yeah. possible. Right. Um, but how about your work sequencing DNA in space? Tell us about that because you're known for your efforts in that department. 
Yeah, that was that was a really exciting experiment. Um, I'd been involved with that group for quite some time, and it was a pretty big effort from uh, several major universities as well as different NASA centers. And really the goal of the first experiments were just to see if we could uh, take the the small portable technologies used to sequence DNA on Earth and utilize those in space. We didn't know if they were going to work. Um, a lot of things change when they get to microgravity. Right, so what did so you we, find? We just did like a proof of principle experiment, uh, and we sent up uh, sequences from uh, mice, uh, from E. coli, which is a bacteria, and from lambdaphage, which is a virus, all mixed together. And we found that we could actually do the sequencing reaction, and it performed incredibly well on orbit. Um, so we were able to sequence over 2 billion base pairs of DNA uh, and even reconstruct the genomes from scratch uh, after the fact. So it was, it was a pretty cool proof of principle experiment. Yeah. Um, okay, so you get back. What's the first thing you do when you get home? Um, actually, it's, it, it sounds like, you know, you, you want to do anything, right? You've just returned to the Earth. What you get to do is a whole bunch of medical tests. <laughs> so that's part of the... Um, it's actually part of the research that we do on space station is we are often the experiment. Um, so one of the very first things I did was was donate a huge amount of blood uh, and, and urine to the medical experiments and go sit in an MRI machine for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, that's hardly like the rewarding, like, go visit family and friends and say hello. Yes, to, exactly. Know, right? we, we didn't get to go to Disneyland. <laughs> no, no. Um, so... You mentioned photography before, and so few people get to see the kind of views you were describing. I mean, it's such, um, it's such a radically different perspective. So how did that impact you? I really felt like um, after a while there were parts of the planet that I don't know if I'll ever see from the planetary surface. And there, there were glaciers in Pakistan. There were, you know, near the South Pole, just incredibly beautiful landscapes in southern Chile. Um, but you get familiar with them. So it starts to look like your own neighborhood or your own backyard. And so we would get really excited, you know, when, oh, Morocco's coming up soon. Everybody fly to the window and look out because it's, it's this incredibly beautiful, stark ocean against uh, continent kind of view. And so you, you really start to feel like after a while you're familiar with the whole Earth. It's kind of this amazing, incredible ongoing geography lesson. Um, there were a few times when I would be really surprised at the scale of things. So we're flying about 400 uh, kilometers above the Earth's surface, and you go very quickly within a few seconds across a continent. I remember I was looking out the window at Vancouver and, and Seattle, and I saw something out the corner of my eye, and I was thinking, what is that? that lake. I didn't know there was this really big lake near Seattle, and it turned out it was the Great Lakes. <laughs> and we were just moving that quickly over the continental U.S. It's like hard to apply what you know from looking at your sort of flat maps back on the earth when you're rotating above it, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so when you came back, I know you had to go through all those medical procedures, but did you notice any physical changes in your body when you returned home because you were out oh, of a zero-gravity environment? Yes, there's definitely a lot of changes. So there's adaptation on the way um, up to the space station when you first encounter microgravity, and then coming back, actually, the adaptation is a little bit worse. Um, I, w I remember I was floating around the dinner table, and one of my crewmates was coming home on an earlier expedition, and he said, oh, gosh, I'm not looking forward to going back to the planet. The gravity sucks. And, uh, and I was, I was kind of sitting there thinking, 
Well, you know, I'm not sure I really got briefed on this. This might have been good if somebody explained that a little bit before I, I launched off the planet. Um, and it is true. It really is not super fun to, uh, to return back to a 1G environment. You feel like you're about three or 400 pounds. Um, I actually felt like I was kind of stuck to the planetary surface with magnets because you're so used to floating. Wow. Um, and I was, I was kind of wondering if I was going to be permanently disabled, always feeling gravity. Uh, and it turns out that, you know, the good thing is that sensation goes away after a few weeks. It takes uh, a few weeks. But you definitely weeks. have to get used to, yeah, a few weeks of, of feeling gravity. And, and you just, you know, you pick up a, a pen or a, a phone and it, and it feels like it weighs 10 pounds and it's kind of dragging itself back down to the planet. So you, you get used to that and you start to compensate. Um, you also have some neurovestibular issues, some, you're a little bit off balance, uh, and some things like proprioception, so how you uh, feel the floor under you and how you balance when you walk takes a little bit to come back. Wow. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to ask, do you think we should have more women like yourself in the space program? Well, I think we're actually doing a pretty great job of that if you look at the last uh, couple classes. So uh, we hire every four years. And our 2013 class was four men and four women, and our 2017 class had a large number of women in it. So I think uh, that, you know, the applicant pool in the math and sciences uh, is really starting to have a lot more women in it, and also our astronaut classes are. That's fantastic. So you have any future plans to return to space? I would love to, yeah. I am still on the active astronaut list, so I am assignable to a future mission. That's exciting. Oh, we're going to be looking for you. Now, I have a few final questions I ask everyone on this podcast before they go. So, Kate, what was the first thing you recall doing on the Internet, which I assume was here on Earth and on the ground? It was, yeah. So that was uh, high school, and I think I was looking at, you know, this was back in the day when websites were just lists of things. <laughs> and I think I remember looking up some, you know, 90s bands lists of things. That sounds totally legit to me. So what's the last thing but what's the last thing you did on the internet and which it can be totally mundane it's, it's okay Oh just today Yeah <laughs> uh, this is this is nerdy I was just reading a study before this call on uh, the impact of long duration space missions on the astronaut microbiome <laughs> All right I, I should have a much cooler answer no. I'm sorry <laughs> No no that is let's call that totally on brand okay Now now what do you want the future of digital life and the internet to look like um, I think, you know, it's it's actually pretty exciting to see how space is a player in the future of digital communications. There's Absolutely. a lot of companies that are, I mean, they're really looking at this as a place to uh, expand Internet access and particularly to uh, hard-to-reach corners of the globe. I used to work a lot in central Congo, um, and it was pretty amazing to see the impact of things like telemedicine, um, you know, places where you would not have access to medical care. All of a sudden, you can take a portable ultrasound, and you can now diagnose people from, from clinics in the U.S. that are would normally not have that access to, to health care. So I think really improving the lives of people who aren't fortunate enough to, to live in neighborhoods with broadband connections uh, is, is really a great place to go for us. Absolutely. And as we move away from strictly terrestrial networks to having more nanosatellite constellations, we're going to be able to deliver that capacity to more people in more places all around the globe. And I think that's going to be uh, really exciting. Yeah, I'll be excited to see that too. All right. Now, before we go, 
Where can folks follow you to keep up to date with what you're doing and where you're doing it? Yeah, so when I was uh, in space, I started tweeting to the NASA astronauts account uh, on Twitter, and that's actually a great place to follow any of the NASA astronauts. So people who are on board the International Space Station, astronauts who are training in Johnson Space Center, um, and really to keep up with anything that's going on at NASA. And what's that, what's that address and what's that handle? Uh, it's at, at NASA underscore astronauts. Awesome. Now, that wraps up another episode of Broadband Conversations. Thank you for being here, Kate, and thank you so much for the work you do on this planet and in space, and thanks to everyone for listening. Take care.